Amen. You can have a seat. Good afternoon. As I said again, how are we doing? Ready to open presents? How many Christmas Eve gift openers do we have? You cheaters. Come on. All right. What about Christmas morning? How about a little both? All right. Hope that you're doing well. If you are a guest with us, uh, appreciate that you joined us. Uh, my name is Jared Quigley. I'm the senior leader here at Mount Helena. And uh, glad that you could be with us today as we celebrate Christmas. I want to um, do something a little bit different uh, as we think about Christmas today and we look at the Word and we remember the moment in time in which Jesus became flesh and, and came to the earth. He was born in that mate, in that, in the and laid in that manger, the shepherds, and all those kind of things. And we, we celebrate that story and that moment in time. And it's just so important in a moment like that to take the time to remember why. We're not just celebrating that a baby was born. I mean, we always celebrate when babies are born. It's just such a wonderful thing. And in this case, a very miraculous thing and an interesting story as Mary and Joseph don't have a place to stay and they, they have to go to the barn or whatever and, then we have the angels and the wise men. We have Herod and all this situation. And I think it's so important to take the time to remember why. Why did he come? Why was he born? Why did God make a way? And I want to look at the life of Jesus and the mission he lived. Because we've been talking about living the mission as a church, as individuals. How do we, how, how, what mission has God called us to? How do, we, you know, how do we live that? What does the word say about that? But did you know that Jesus came to live a mission? He was born not just to stay a baby forever, but to grow up and live out a mission on the earth. And I want to look today at a little, just a glimpse into that mission through the eyes of the, the disciple John. John had 12 disciples that, that he disciplized, as we've been talking about in recent days. They call them the 12 apostles. One of them was John. John went on after Jesus died and was resurrected. John went on to write the gospel of John. He wrote three letters in the New Testament. He also had an amazing vision, a spiritual Revelation, where we get the book of Revelation at the end of our Bible. John had a close-up and unique relationship with Christ. And we could probably talk for weeks about that. But what I want to do today, uh, rather than preach a bunch, I would rather just read some of the things that John wrote. Some of the things that he observed and then he recounts and tells us the story later. The way he sees Jesus, this man who came, this, this God-man who came to live a mission on the earth on behalf of you and I today. In the Gospel of John in chapter 1, he starts out his Gospel in a very almost poetic kind of way, the way he writes. John sometimes is a little bit challenging to understand in his vocabulary, and sometimes it requires some thought. But he's just, he just his, his voice, if, if you'll, his voice in the way that he writes is different than many of the other writings that we see in the New Testament. And as I read this today, I want to challenge you, just soak up every word. Think about the situation. Think about what it actually means. We'll hear lots of words like light and life and believe in John's language. And as I'm reading the word of God to you, absorb it into your heart and into your soul. As we've talked in recent weeks, it isn't, 
it isn't really good preaching or anything like that, good teaching that carries the weight of the truth. It's the Word of God that carries that weight. And so I challenge you to listen and absorb it and meditate on it as I read it to you today. I want to begin in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, where John begins his story about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. Later on, John the Baptist, just later in that chapter, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says these words. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see in the beginning John laying the groundwork painting the picture of God having become man and the light shining in the darkness, that he would give the right to become children for those who would believe in him. A couple of chapters later in John chapter 3, there's a famous story where there's a man named Nicodemus that we're going to read about, and he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader of his day. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how could you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You may not know the story, but there was a period of time where uh, God has spread a plague of snakes around the people, and people were sick and dying, and God has him make a a staff with a snake on the top of it of a bronze and he holds it up amongst the people and whenever the people look at it, they're healed. It's a story in the Old Testament, a miraculous thing. In fact, it's why we have that the medical sign with the snake in case you ever wondered where that came from. Seems like a strange thing to have for a medical symbol, but that's where it comes from. It's a sign of healing. And Jesus said, just like that, I will be lifted up. And of course, he was telling us of the cross that he would be lifted upon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John chapter 12 verses 44 through 50. Jesus cried out and said, whoever 
believes in me. Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The world anticipated that Jesus would come. And Jesus came. And he came as a light for mankind. And a light that shines today through you and I. But he ascended into heaven. He left this earth. And he left us with the mission that we've been talking about in recent days. And he went into heaven and he promised us that he would return. Did you know there's going to be a second Christmas? Did you know there's a day that we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ? And as we celebrate his first coming in the flesh, coming as a light into the world, coming to save the world, coming so that we would believe in him and be restored to our Father and our sins forgiven and washed away, he also then will return at the culmination of time. And I want to read to you the last chapter of the book of Revelation, the very last chapter in the book of the Bible, in, in the Bible, last chapter of the last book of the Bible in Revelation. And John is seeing something in the Spirit. God has given him a spiritual vision. It's a mysterious book. It challenges what we believe. There's a lot of different theories that come out of it. But we do learn some very important things from the book of Revelation. And I want to read that last chapter to you, realizing that he will come again. Revelation chapter 2, 22, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first 
and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride, which is the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. We see that in the very beginning of the Bible, in the very first story, man ate from the tree of life. He lived eternally until sin entered. And sin has separated man from God. But Jesus has made a way for our sin to be removed. And the story ends, this is the very end of the Bible, and our future, we will once again have access to the tree of life, meaning for us, eternal life. We will be restored. And the Bible concludes with these verses. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And then John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. As we celebrate the coming of Christ, that he became man, that he dwelt among us as Emmanuel, that he, he paid the ultimate price, that he was the sacrifice for our sin, that his innocent blood was shed, that we would have eternal life. Let us also remember and celebrate that he doesn't leave us as orphans. He returns for the culmination of time to set up a kingdom that never ends. In the book of Isaiah, it says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will rule over all nations in the future. And this is why we have hope. Because while we could never save ourselves and never be good enough and are broken by sin, God has made a way where there was no way. And so, therefore, it is incredibly important and right that we celebrate that God is with us. We're going to take communion, and the way we're going to do that is I'm going to have you just serve yourselves at these four tables, form four lines, try and spread out evenly and serve yourselves, grab a bread, grab a wine or a juice, whichever you prefer. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This is John writing in his gospel, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why is it written? Why do we have this gospel? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. And then John concludes his gospel saying, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Would you stand please? As Nick begins to play some music for us, just go ahead and step on out, head over to these tables. We'll have some people there at the tables. Serve yourselves. Take the bread and the juice back with you or the wine and then just wait. And once everybody's been served, we'll take communion together. Last week, we, I shared a quote with you, for those of you that were here, from C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but he also wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And then there's a quote, and he says this, Now today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Sobering reminder from C.S. Lewis. Jesus did come and he died on a cross and we live in a period of time where we have the opportunity to trust in him, to believe in him, to accept that sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. But it does not last forever. The world does end. The wrath of God does come. He judges the living and the dead. But in the meantime, we celebrate what he has done for us. So why do we do communion? On the night before Jesus was hung on the cross and died, he celebrated with a meal with his disciples. And he broke bread. And they drank wine. And he gave them some very specific instructions. And I'm going to pick that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul gives us instruction about this very thing we're about to do. It's an important thing, and it's a serious thing. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Who is it for? Who did he break his body for? Who did he suffer and die for? You. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant or agreement, the new deal between man and God. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take this bread and we drink this cup, we're remembering what he did for us, but we're also proclaiming his death and recognizing someday he will also return until he comes. We are in that time. 
that we could take advantage of the sacrifice he's made for us. You can take the bread. And you can take the cup. As you celebrate with those you love this Christmas, and you remember that night in the story in Luke chapter 2 where we hear of the angels and the birth of Jesus, remember that Jesus was born with a mission. And he sets an example for all of us about our own mission. You also are not here by accident. You also have a life to live. My encouragement and challenge to you is to live it for him, believing in him, taking advantage of the opportunity he's afforded you. And he will return and his recompense will be with him. And just like John, we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. We honor you today, Lord. We honor you for the humility that you had to humble yourself and be like us. And for the love and compassion that you've had by paying a price for us that we couldn't pay. And for being so strong for us that you'll come and you will rule and reign in truth and in grace. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this wonderful story that we all celebrate. I pray that you would bless each family and each individual today and tomorrow and over the weekend as they celebrate and think on these things. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be stirring truth in all of our hearts and that we would all be surrendering our lives to you, believing in you, putting our faith in you, and making you the king of all kings in our own lives. We honor you today, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do one last song of worship before we go. I hope that you have a fantastic weekend, and I will let you know that there will be candy canes that you can get on the way out so that your kids can stay up later tonight driving you crazy from the sugar. I appreciate you. I love you guys. Hope you have a Merry Christmas.